With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back Tiger fans to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. We've got some news, breaking news items coming through the pipe today. Lots of news, actually. I was kind of surprised for being, you know, what, January 20th. Got a lot of Mizzou action this week. We got BK on to talk about it. BK, how you doing, my man? Fantastic, Nate Edwards. How are you? Sleepy and cranky. So let's <laughs> talk about some Missouri football. Um, we have. We got a couple of news items that I want to talk about. The first one is just more of a refresher of what we talked about last week, even though nothing's really officially developed, but some kind of shape is being taken care of. I'm talking about the defensive coordinator. Still don't have a guy. Football Scoop sent out a list uh, last week, and I like some of the names on there. I'm not sure if they were any of them were legit, um, but it sounds like. Um, it is getting whittled down. It sounds like David Gibbs is on the short list. A guy named uh, Steve Wilkes from the NFL is on the list. And then an unknown third candidate. Uh, BK, What I, I know nothing about Steve Wilkes. 
until you texted me the name. Tell me, tell me something about him and why I should be excited. Uh, he's thought of as a good coach. He was the head coach for the Arizona Cardinals for one season back in 2018. That was prior to the Cliff Kingsbury experience down in Arizona. They fired him to bring in an offensive mind. They brought in the offensive mind who was Cliff Kingsbury, who doesn't know anything about defense. So... He was fired, Cliff hired, he ends up as the defensive coordinator in Cleveland for a season, the Cleveland staff gets fired, boom, he's out of a job, he was nowhere for 2020. He's still relatively young in terms of coaching age, he's 51 years old, he's coached all over the place, so he was a college coach first, ended up in the NFL starting in about 2006. He's been a defensive backs coach for the vast majority of his career. He's been in the NFL since then. So it's been a minute since he's been a college football coach. He was with the Bears, Chargers, Panthers. He was the assistant head coach with the Panthers underneath Ron Rivera. Uh, he was the DC for Ron Rivera for one season back in 2017. Hmm. Defense was very good. And that's how he got the Arizona Cardinals head coaching job. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's been thought of as a really good coach and he basically followed Ron Rivera because Rivera was with the Bears in 2006 when he was hired there he went to the Chargers in 09 through 11 and that is where um Steve Wilkes went and then he followed Rivera to the Panthers whenever Rivera got the head coaching job there so he's followed him around the NFL and that's where most of his opportunities came there's a clear connection there now what is the connection to Mizzou I don't have a great answer for you there. The only thing that I can think of is he did play, Steve Wilkes did, at App State. So he's an alum. But when? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a long time ago. Yeah, okay. um, like yeah. early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he played there. Does that mean he knows uh, Drinkwitz well? Probably not. Has he met Eli Drinkwitz? That's possible. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. It's a really intriguing name because it's not your typical, hey, this guy is a clear-cut candidate for the Mizzou defensive coordinator hire. It's very rare that you get a recent NFL head coach that would take a Mizzou defensive coordinator gig, so I'm yeah. intrigued by it. I think it'd be a pretty good hire. I know there are some people that are lukewarm on it. I get that. I think Steve Wilkes, from every interview that I've heard from him, is a pretty charismatic dude. I think he would come across pretty well as a college coach. Been a while. He's been away from the college game for a while. It's going to come down to his recruiting ability mostly. But I think he'd be a pretty good hire. I, man, I am looking at his, all of his jobs here. Savannah State, Illinois State, App State, East Tennessee State, Bowling Green, Notre Dame, Washington. And then, yeah, NFL. Um, so here's the thing with NFL guys, right? Like they're, they're X's and O's dudes. Most of them don't like to recruit. Um, that's why they're in the NFL. Um, I'm cool with it. If he can, if he can teach his concepts, right? If he's, if he's a really good teacher, he could teach his concepts really well. And if he can identify opposing offenses and shut down what they want to do, then yeah, sign him up. Uh, personally, I I like the recruiting aspect. It's, it pays more to be a recruiter, a good recruiter at the college level than it is to be a good tactician. Um, obviously, either one will do, and we have a staff full of recruiters, so maybe that doesn't matter. But really, at this point, I want a guy who knows what he's doing and is interested in the job <laughs> and is mostly affordable because we have gone, what, 
two weeks. I don't even remember anymore. Mm. Two weeks, I think, almost with no DC. And it's not like there needs to be one now to like clean up on the second signing day. Like that doesn't really mean anything. But I would like to have someone in place um, so that the recruits we do have, think of your four-star defenders that we signed in this past class, we can pitch them on who's coming in and they don't transfer somewhere else. Right? Uh, it'd be really nice to, to give them a little concept of who they're going to be playing for um, so that they don't bail. And I would like that to be done sooner rather than later, but I'm until proven otherwise, I'm going to trust Drink's process and assume he's going to pick the right guy when yeah, he and picks him. I mean, now you got another job that's open, right? He, it seems like the defense is getting a little bit yeah. of a refresh. It was announced earlier today, and this one surprised me. i got to be honest with you. Um, maybe it shouldn't have yeah. surprised me yeah. given the play of the defensive line, but Mizzou is going to be parting ways with Brick Haley. Now we don't know who decided to do this. I would imagine it was Mizzou deciding that he would not be back considering he had a contract through 2023. I'd be surprised if he was just like, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere else <laughs> without knowing where that other job is, but that's <laughs> speculation by me. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. guessing this was Eli Drinkwitz deciding to go in a new direction this basically means with Ryan Walters leaving and with Brick Haley leaving, you've got options. You can either hire a defensive line coach that specializes or a defense coordinator that specializes in the defensive line or a DC that specializes in safety slash secondary play. You can go either direction and then you'll just have to hire a position coach for whichever one you don't select as your DC. And so Chris Kiffin was the guy that was named in that football scoop report that would make sense as a defensive line slash defensive coordinator uh, hire if they want to go that route. He's currently with the Cleveland Browns. Their season obviously just came to an end, thank God. (laughs) And so he's the guy that I was most intrigued by as a defensive coordinator option. Uh Is he allowed to come back to the SEC? I, I don't know. He's got the show cause. It seemed like that was kind of a lot made out of very little, but it's not up to me to decide. He's a guy that I was really intrigued by. I would love to see him at Mizzou. I don't know if he's ready to come back to the college game or not, but of the guys that you have seen now kind of floated as options for Mizzou, who would you say is at the top of your list as the guy that you would like to see? Reeves. That doesn't change anything. Um, I just, I'm sure Wilkes knows his stuff. I'm sure. Was David Reeves ever like truly connected to the job though, or was that us speculating? I've seen a lot. I've heard that David Reeves is is the unnamed third uh, prospect that Dave Matter mentioned. Oh, cool. Sorry. Uh, he was the third prospect that Dave Matter didn't name but mentioned in his piece. Gotcha. I've heard that that's not the case. <laughs> I've heard a lot of things kind of bounced around there. but um, So I don't know. If, if that's the case, he's still my number one. Of the ones that we know for sure. And by the way, those names are for anybody that forgot from last week, and I totally understand oh, sure. there's a lot of names yeah. that have been thrown around. Um, Alabama's Chris, uh, Charles Kelly, who was previously yeah. with Florida State and Georgia Tech, uh, Cleveland Browns assistant coach, and previously, yes, that is Lane Kiffin's brother, uh, previously the defensive coordinator yeah. at FAU, David Gibbs, who is the in-house candidate, and then Mike Stoops, who nobody was the former defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. <laughs> Get out, Stoops. I... 
I'm probably leaning towards Kelly at this point. Uh, I know Charles Kelly has underwhelmed in his past couple defense coordinator spots, but the dude can recruit, and uh, he knows the SEC pretty well. Not that Kiffin doesn't, but if, if those are my options, that's where I would go. And, you know, Kiffin, much like his older brother, kind of has a wandering eye. So if you make the hire, it's probably not going to be lasting long. I'm not saying Kelly's going to stick around forever, but he's an older dude. Um, and I don't know, maybe he would be a little bit more willing to stick around. Uh, but I would go Kelly. Uh, of the of the ones we know, where are you kind of leaning at this point? I would say, I mean, if, if Reeves is a true option, he's the guy. He, he makes all the sense in the world. Um, if we kind of set him aside, because like you, I, we just don't know right now. If he's not an option and of the names that we have been floated thus far, I would probably go Kiffin number one, just because I'm always going to bet on upside. That's just kind of by nature the, the route that I tend to go. It's why I loved the Eli Drinkwitz hire. And Kiffin, in a lot of ways, reminds me of Drinkwitz and that he's like this up and coming potential really great hire that the only reason he hasn't been hired elsewhere. Um, and this is obviously where it differs from Eli Drinkwitz is that he, he had the show cause penalty from previous transgressions. And again, you can read about them. They're, they're readily available. It's not like he was out here doing Tennessee stuff where he was handing out <laughs> McDonald's bags with cash. Like that's, that's not what Chris Kiffin was doing, or at least that's not what he was alleged to have done. So he would probably be my top guy. After him, I'm with you. I would go Charles Kelly second. I would have Steve Wilkes probably third on my list. I am intrigued by him. I think it would be a good hire. I think any of those three would be good hires by Mizzou. I really would, would praise mm -hmm. any of them. Um, and then after that, one thing that I did want to make sure that we got to um, in this discussion, I do think we've been a little hard on David Gibbs. I no. <laughs> No, but continue, please. After looking back at the jobs that he's had, and specifically, really, the, the one that he's had significant time at was Texas Tech. After yes. looking back at that job and what he did there, he wasn't an abomination. It was a terrible job, um, and he did okay, all things considered. So I wouldn't say that it is a awful hire if they decided to go that route. I wouldn't be like thrilled by it by any stretch, but I would say it's it's fine. It's probably the lowest level that I would be willing to go to say that it's fine as a hire. I'm going to push on you a little bit. Okay, here. please. What what part of Gibbs's defense was fine in your eyes? He made it better. So 2014, they allowed 41 points per game. That was pre-Gibbs. He gets there. The first year, they allow 43 points per game. That's obviously terrible. Second year, 43 points per game. Still terrible. But year three, he got it down to 32. Year four, he got it down to 31 points per game. So as the talent improved, as he was the head coach, or as the he was the DC there, they did get better. You saw tangible results the third and fourth years that he was there. Now, that took time. And does Missouri have the luxury of time? Maybe not. And it also tells you that he's a little bit more dependent upon the players than you would probably like. But it also shows you that if he has the players, he can get the job done. So it, and by get the job done, I mean to a, a passable level. Again, <laughs> okay. this would not be somebody that I would love to have hired. 
But if right. he were hired, I, I wouldn't be as down on the hire as I would have been prior to looking a little bit more into it. Why are, I'll, I'll let you play devil's advocate, though. Why would you be more down on the hire than I'm indicating right now? So I, I did a dive on Gibbs and his turnover theory. Was it last offseason? I don't even remember right now. The punchline is, is that a couple times he did improve turnovers, but the vast majority of the time he did not. And if he can get lucky with the turnovers, the defenses are not too bad because he likes to kind of build his defenses around creating turnovers. If you build your defense around creating turnovers, you need to create turnovers. And they didn't reliably do that. They did that really well in 2017. I think they were plus 23 or something completely stupid like that. Like just, you cannot replicate that. And that was his best year. There was 70th in defensive SP plus in 2017. The next year he wasn't able to uh, replicate that. And they fell to 81st. His run defenses in order, according to SP plus from 2015 on 115th, 120th, 110th, 100th. Those are run defense. That's something that the SEC likes to do. Did I hear improvement? <laughs> oh, my God. Passing defense in order. 88th. Oh, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. 88th in 2015. 120th in 2016. <laughs> 112th in 2017. 114th in 2018. There's not a damn thing they did well except for turnovers. But do you know how little... bad they were against the pass in 2019 when he left? Just as bad. Worse. They allowed nine and a half yards per attempt. Nine and a oh half yards God. per attempt. Do you know That's how not good. do you know how hard it is to allow nine and a half yards per attempt? That means when the other team throws the ball, they are expecting, if they throw it on for, on first down, to essentially get to the first get down the marker first down. when they yep. throw the football. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. They but okay, but they didn't. They didn't sack the quarterback at all. They're 114th in sack rate. They didn't stuff the run. They're 102nd against run stoppages. They didn't do anything well except for try and get turnovers. Now, I will say this. Maybe he has thrown that in the garbage. Maybe he said, you know what? I have been a defensive guy for since 1991. At this point, I'm just going to field good defenses. He did that at Minnesota. He's done that before. He did that at Kansas City, uh, 2006 to 2008. He was defensive backs coach. Like, he has this history of being good and being just a normal defensive coordinator. Um, you could argue that maybe he went turnover prone at Texas Tech because he had to, because he was paired up with Cliff Kingsbury. He's going to go at mock speed, and he's like, well, crap. I, I don't have the, the athletes to stop him. I might as well turn him over. Like, you can make excuses for this, and that's fine. That's fine. But if you're looking at the resume, the resume tells me overall, at least in the most recent history that he has, he hasn't been all that good in the D.C. spot. And if he's turned over a new leaf, that's fine. I just would prefer not to find that out with my team, BK. That's all. I wanted to find that out somewhere else, you know? I I totally get it. And I think large in large part what I'm doing here is like I think there's a legitimate chance he's hired. Um, that is speculative. Don't you think it would have been done by now if he was going to be hired? I think he is not the first candidate. I think that other pe- other people would have to turn the job down for them to give it to David Gibbs. That makes sense. Like if, yes. if for instance, so he's like sitting in the pocket as a as a backup. Exactly. Basically. Worst case scenario for Drinkwitz, if his other candidates fall through, he ends up with David Gibbs as the defense coordinator. And again. That is not ideal. That is not the guy that you want to hire. Like, he shouldn't be 
the goal should not have been, and I do not believe it was, starting this search by handing the job to David Gibbs. That's that's okay. not the way this goes. But mm-hmm. if you offer the job to, for instance, Charles Kelly, and you offer the job to Steve Wilkes, and they both say no, and you know that the other guys that we've talked about have no interest, and I'm this is a hypothetical scenario. Sure. Then you're kind of sitting back and you restart your search, and you're like, okay, well, what are my options here? David Gibbs has been a defensive coordinator. He's done the job. He is a good recruiter. I'm pretty sure that's mm-hmm. true. For sure. He has a clear philosophy defensively. <laughs> and yep. while it did not go well at Texas Tech, I can come up with a story as to why. And you can sure. call it an excuse. You can call it an explanation. We can call it whatever we want to. Cliff Kingsbury's offense, much like Josh Heupel's offense here at Mizzou, was not conducive to playing good defense. It was never going to be conducive to playing good defense. And I do think you can make the case the best possible option whenever you have that offense to pair with is what he said, which is let's try to go for takeaways. We're not going to get stops. They are our offense is giving us the ball back in 3.5 seconds because they're running three plays in 10 seconds and going three and out. Uh, let's try to get takeaways to get the ball back to that offense. And when they do get the ball back and they score, they're scoring in four plays because we have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. So (laughs) I think that there's a case to be made that it was actually the right philosophy, even if it didn't work, quote unquote. Sure. So it's, it's tough for me. And that's the case to be made for him. Again, I would not argue in favor of David Gibbs. And if he wasn't on Missouri staff already, I don't think he would be a candidate for this job. But he is right. on Missouri staff. He's internal. And if other guys decline the job, I do think you could do worse than hiring David Gibbs as your DC. I get it. <clears throat> um, if you all have been following or still follow old players, all old Missouri players, on the Twitter machine, you'll see a pretty common theme of bring back Coach Kuligowski. Um, No. I like Coach Cool a lot. Uh, I think Lucas Vincent put, oh, you're looking for a new D.C. and a new defensive line coach? Guess who can fill all both of those <laughs> vacancies, which, okay. Um, no, we are not doing that. And, and, and here's why, guys. Number one, uh, Coach Cool is an excellent, absolutely excellent defensive line coach. Not so great at the D.C. chair, at least not last year. He's at Toledo currently, 79th best defense, uh, according to SP Plus, at Toledo. Uh, now that's only one year, so okay, whatever. We can argue that a little bit. Here's where I think this is just not going to happen. Y'all remember 2016 when Barry Odom took over and he cleaned house a little bit, and that included sending Coach Kuligowski on his way. Now, Coach Cool and Barry Odom worked together in 2015, and Coach Cool took a little offense that uh, he was not looked at uh, as a candidate to be Barry Odom's defensive coordinator and handed out the Missouri defensive playbook to the entire SEC. Allegedly. <clears throat> Allegedly. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. Allegedly. Just, I'm just keeping us safe here, man. <laughs> now, you remember Missouri's defensive woes in 2016. So, allegedly, 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 you are correct. But I don't think he was a huge fan of Barry Odom, and I'm not sure how much of a fan he is of Missouri. I don't know if that that takes you know that carries over or not. But also keep in mind he he couldn't fit at Alabama. He lasted one year there, and then Saban got rid of him. 
just didn't want him on staff anymore. And uh, enough people didn't want him that he spent 2019 on the sidelines not doing anything. So I'm not totally sure he's going to be a legitimate candidate at all. I know we would love to see D-Line Z return. Um, I, I certainly do. I would like that with Eli Drinkwitz's guy, not with bringing back uh, you know, an old old glory, uh, Coach Kuligowski, and doing it his way, and then being you know hijacked, having the program hijacked by you know, nostalgia again, uh, yesteryear coaches. So I don't know. Uh, that's one that I don't think is going to happen either. Um, but really, I just – just gotta have somebody. <laughs> Somebody's out there, and if it is Gibbs, that's fine. There's been a um, lot of hype with lately, Haley man. gone. I, I, if I had to guess, like by the time that we post this, it's possible that the job has been accepted by somebody. Eh, um, and we're recording this late yeah. Wednesday night. It's about nine o'clock Wednesday night Central Time. If you had to guess right now, and we might sound foolish by the time that people have have listened to this, <laughs> who would you guess is going to if yeah. this if this is officially done by the time that somebody's listening to it? Who would you guess has accepted the job? I, Wilkes. I, I know it, it seems like there's a lot of energy around that, and who knows what that means, same. but if there's enough chatter about it, I'm just like, uh, it's probably him. That's kind of where so. I'm leaning right now as well. He he makes a lot of sense. He, he fills kind of the same role that you had last year from Ryan Walters. He can coach the DBs. He's served in this capacity at an even higher level in the NFL He's been a head coach before previously in the NFL. I, he he checks a, a lot of boxes. Now, the one box that he doesn't check that I would have honestly some concerns about is being a DC in college football where, I mean, recruiting is half the battle. I, I would have some questions about that. But with how many good recruiters are on this staff it makes me feel a little bit better about it, and especially if they're able to hire somebody sure. that's really good as a defensive line coach. And a lot of the time, for people that don't pay close attention to it, defensive line coaches typically are really good recruiters. Um, so, I, yeah, Usually, I, I would yeah, yeah. I would hope that they've got somebody kind of pegged for that job that they think is going to be really good in that role as a recruiter. Mm, yeah. I mean, I like Brick Haley. Uh, he obviously a hell of a recruiter in his own right. Um, outside of his first year, though, like defensive line relied on dudes, didn't rely on scheme. And if they didn't have the dudes, like if they didn't have a Jordan Elliott, I mean, that pass rush in the past couple of years has just been negligible off the ends. You had a little bit up front, especially with Elliott and then with Kobe Whiteside a little bit as well. But like, not really super impressed. It feels like it was more of a product of the guys in the scheme or the defensive line coach. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, it's it's totally fair. Let's be honest. Who's who's developed there? That didn't start out somewhere else. Uh, you know? Yeah. I mean, Trajan Jeffcoat was the hope this year, and he wasn't around the team for a year. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, he just showed up, and it was like, oh, that's the best defensive lineman on the roster. Oh, yeah. And in some ways... That's kind of damning. Yeah. Um. Y- you would have hoped that somebody would have developed along the way. Now, that's not to suggest that other guys haven't gotten better. They certainly have. But literally by being around a football team every day, you get better. Yeah. I would be better at playing football if I went through football <laughs> drills every day. Now, I, I wouldn't be a Division One caliber athlete. Sure. But I would get better if every day I was training towards that aspiration, right? Mm-hmm. While also understanding that I would never reach that aspiration. <laughs> um, 
And so as, as I kind of look at the defensive line, it's, it's hard for me to point to the, hey, that's the guy that if you were considering firing Brick Haley, you can't because look what he did with this guy. It's hard for me to really point to, to anybody, so I get it. Yeah. I do. I mean, he has an eye Even for talent. Even though I like him. I liked him personally. Oh, yeah. He seemed like an awesome dude. I would love to just, like, have dinner with the guy and pick his brain on anything. He seems just like an awesome character. Uh, and he has an excellent eye for talent. He saw Elliot at Texas, brought him with him. You know, like, this is good. Trajan Jeffcoat was very good. Like, we know this. It's just, you know, it kind of goes back to the Barry Odom thing. Like, how did how did you get past to where you were in high school? How did, how did you get better? And I just haven't seen it, so... I have no idea. Like I, I know you say I'm always kind of in tune with the coaches. I have not looked at all the defensive line coaches. I have no idea. <laughs> Let's figure out the DC first, what that guy does, and then we'll figure out kind of where we fill in the hole. But, um, yeah, Brick, I hope you do well, man. Uh, sorry to see you go. But we are moving on, and we're finding somebody else. And kind of makes me feel like it's at, uh, at this point it's not Gibbs because he probably would have kept Haley around. So this is probably a movement – Maybe Haley wanted to be DC and get and Drink just told him no and maybe he wants to leave. I don't know. That's possible. Um, but we will figure out the the D line guy uh, once we figure out the DC and I hope that soon so we can get all of our young baby pass rushers excited about playing for Mizzou. Speaking of young baby Missouri Tigers, we've got some <laughs> recruiting news, man. What a transition! That God, was a professional just A plus, right baby. <laughs> Two hours of sleep can't bring me down. Um, now I forgot what I was talking about. All right, yeah, recruiting. Ha ha. Um, so we've got two additions to the Missouri roster that came this week. Uh, one via uh, transfer portal and the other one via high school. And I wanted to talk about the high school kid first. Um, so we got today. Was it today? Oh, my God, it was today. Um, Makai Miller. I think it's Makai. Out of Blue Valley North in Overland Park, Kansas. Uh, young receiver. 6'1", 180, three-star on the rival service, uh, pledged his services to the Tigers today, uh, which makes him the fourth recruit for the 2022 class, second receiver in the 22 class, fourth overall, uh, and the second three-star, or sorry, third three-star to join the ranks. I have not watched his film at all. Uh, I know a couple people. Uh, I have. Oh, you have? Well, tell me about him. Um, so first of all, six, one, he's taller than five foot 10. Praise Jesus. That's a start. Praise Jesus. <laughs> um, he fits the profile of receiver that we've been talking about that Mizzou was lacking. A lot of his production comes on slants. So in breaking routes, some of it you see is, is deeper routes. He's more of a strider than a, a speedster. Uh, he does have long strides. He is what appears to be a really solid all around receiver. Whereas with like Dominic Lovett, I mentioned that that dude is fast and athletic. And when he gets over the top, good luck. Good luck catching him. That was the four star out of East St. Louis that Mizzou got for the 2021 class. That's not Miller. Uh, Miller is more of the trying to think of a good like Bud Sasser-esque, I guess I would say. Um, He's not as thick as Sasser, but he's a junior in high school. So he might end up getting there. But that's kind of more the role if, if you're thinking about it that way. He can do a little bit of everything. I saw him run slants. I saw him run. He had a couple of double moves that I really liked seeing. Um, ran a shag route that I liked where it was kind of an in-break, pump fake, and then comes outside. Um, did run some goes. Lined up in the slot outside. Ran, lined up at running back actually a few times as well. 
He's all over the field. Seemed like a really good player. That's why he's a 5-7-3 star on Rivals. We've talked in the past about how much we like those. It's a good pickup, objectively. And it's out of the KC area, which is kind of the one spot locally that Drinkwitz has not had a ton of success with mm-hmm. yet. So it's good to get a guy out of that area. Um, he's it's, it's a really good get at a position that Mizzou needs to keep filtering through because you're starting to see now the pipeline starting to look a little bit better. We mm-hmm. we've seen last year they've they plugged the hole with guys that could come in and play right away and now the goal is to get as many guys in as possible to be able to continue not having that same issue again. So that way in the future you don't have to bring in these grad transfers to immediately plug a hole that you know you have. You know, it's so crazy to me and I, I I don't run a recruiting service I'm not in the room with rivals or with 247 or any of those guys so I don't I don't know how they figure it out or anything like that it just it seems weird to me and I know St. Louis is, is a lot bigger than Kansas City it just seems weird to me that the St. Louis metro area produces according to the recruiting services just such an elite amount of talent a deep elite amount of talent at football and the Kansas City area just gets a guy or two per year noticed. So I, I don't know what's going on, and maybe that's part of it where it's just like, uh, you know, the, the you don't have schools going there, so the recruiting services don't go there, so they don't really see it as much. I don't know. But it, it Kansas City has not been a high-priority target for Missouri for a while. They get kids out of the area, um, but they just don't they don't dive into it like they do uh, with the loot of the Zoom movement. So this is it's this kind is of nice. flipped too, by the way. It, it was it was kind of opposite probably 10, 15 years ago. There was a lot of talent that was coming out of the KC area. And it's it's flipped. St. Louis, this is as good as you're gonna see the St. Louis area when it comes to recruiting mm-hmm. talent. It's it's been really good the last really five, five years, years or so yeah. now. Yeah. I mean Tony Temple was a Kansas City kid. Uh Rockers, if I remember correctly. Um so I mean there's there is talent there. I think Will Rucker. Yeah, Rucker, St. St. Joseph, I think, it's Kansas City area. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaufman was out of the uh, peculiar, yeah, um, Raymore peculiar. Ray Peck, yeah, yeah. They've had they've de- they've definitely taken some talent from the KC area. Uh, it just hasn't really been as much lately. Yeah, and like for this year, um, you know, obviously we've got Jamari or sorry, Mikai Miller, who's on the Kansas side of the of the metro area. But you're looking at Dominique Orange, defensive tackle out of Kansas City. And really, what, Akina Zogu from Blue Springs, Jason Essex out of Kansas City. So, I mean, you got a couple here or there. Amon Mimbo uh, from Lee Summit. But, you know, they're not super highly ranked like the St. Louis kids are. So, who knows? I'm sure these things, you know, you look at the demographics and uh, my mo- people movement uh, across the state. And, and I know Kansas City is growing rapidly. So, who knows? In a couple of years, it might flip again. But, um, it is nice to get someone from the Kansas City area. And this kid is a position of need. Hello. Uh, he's also tall enough to make it the kind of impact that you and I have been talking about. So that's always nice. He could ride the rides at Disney he World. He can which ride is great. the ride. Absolutely. So we got high school ranks jumping in. We also got to plumb the transfer portal for a new guy. Um, might become a Missouri legend. I don't know. BK, I've told you. My favorite Missouri football player of all time, correct? Have I told you this? Uh, I'm sure you have. Who was it? Max Copeland. Easily okay, my favorite. Uh, the the rabid Viking himself. Walk on from Montana. 
made his way into the starting offensive line of the 2013 football team, which featured all NFL players. So uh, he was my personal favorite. He was a great personality, great character, great quote. And I love a hard work. Yeah, one of the guy. best interviews you'll ever have. He's amazing. Yeah, just just a, just a dude, just a crazy dude. And I love he's like a he's like a movie star now. He's a, he's the like a like a, the villain in slasher movies now, which is just I think is fantastic. But anyway, I, I bring that up because the newest guy, his name is excellent. It's Blaze Aldridge. He's from Rice University. Um, he has a main two rival Max Copeland's. Um, but also seems to be kind of a character guy. BK, you had a little bit of an interaction with him on Twitter. Can you tell our listeners what happened? Yeah, so I, I went through and I I mean he's his profile in terms of what he has been in the past, if you just like look at his Wikipedia page kind of and you, you look at his credentials, hell of a player. Two time first time first team all conference USA. He racked up more than 200 tackles, 29 tackles for loss, six sacks in 28 games for Rice. I mean, the the kid is unbelievably productive. And so I see that and I'm like, okay, I need to start thinking, what is he going to be in Missouri's defense next year? Because he's a grad transfer. He basically has one more year of eligibility and he wanted to come play at a higher level. So ends up at Mizzou. And if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, You know my biggest concern about Mizzou going into next season, now that they have receiver at least patched over a bit, is linebacker. I'm I'm really worried about what they're going to do, or was really worried, about what they were going to be able to do to fill the shoes of Nick Bolton. And that is a massive, massive hole, and nobody should expect Blaze Aldridge to be Nick Bolton. The kid's a first-round pick. He's That's one of the best linebackers that you're going to see in a Mizzou uniform ever. So don't expect that. However, as I went back, I decided to watch three of his games last year against three of the better teams that um, Rice played. So I watched his game against UAB, Marshall, and North Texas. And I went through, the reason why I picked these games for what it's worth, um, I went and watched, I think it was the UAB game first, if I'm not mistaken. And I saw some things with offensive linemen that gave him trouble. So I wanted to look up who the best offensive lines were that... Uh, they played in the year, and those were Marshall and North Texas. So that's why I picked those three games. Um, he's a good player, like a, a, a solid all-around player. And I'm going to tell you this up front so that way it kind of explains where I'm going with this. I told Nate this as we were kind of talking about it before the show. In terms of the type of player, caliber of player, he kind of reminds me of Michael Shear in that he's a solid all-around guy who isn't super flashy but he just he's kind of always around the ball um and you're not sure if it's like the best way to get there or how he ended up there but he's always around the football and so he's a guy that can blitz he can play the overhang which is basically like a linebacker that's line Devin Nicholson did that a lot last year um a linebacker that lines up outside kind of beside the defensive end outside of the offensive tackle um he is pretty good at reading and reacting. He has shown some ability to shoot the gap whenever he immediately sees and reads the play well. He does have some tough times, as I mentioned, fighting through blockers, and that's going to be something that he needs to work on in the SEC. He's not the fastest guy in the world, so guys that are really fast sideline to sideline can give him some issues. But overall, a solid player that I think 
has a pretty good shot to be the best linebacker on the roster next year. And this was a position that they had to upgrade in the offseason. So good get for Eli Drinkwitz for sure. So you were doing your, your video dive like you usually do and posted it on Twitter. And lo and behold, we get a reply guy. Somewhere, somewhere in your thread, somebody replies to you. And it just so happens to be Mr. Blaze Aldridge himself. Yeah. And what did he say? Yeah, so he responded to the one where I mentioned, as I just said, uh, I I posted a video of him getting beat to the sideline. And I said, one thing I noticed is that he isn't going to wow you with the speed. He still makes most of the plays that come his way. But quick quarterbacks or running backs can beat him to the edge, like you see here from North Texas's quarterback. And his response was, this play still haunts me. Poor technique on my part. Got to keep my outside foot back so I don't close off my hips and can run flat down the line of scrimmage instead of coming upfield and running like the little banana that I did. <laughs> First and last time, I lose the edge like this. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love the accountability. Um, he He responded. He saw the thread. He didn't take exception to it he said yeah basically yeah i i got beat and explained how and why it happened and why he doesn't think it's going to happen again so i i respect that man i love it that's awesome i love it i i you know he he went to rice so you know he's got some smarts to him he responded to bk and was humble so you know he's got some good character qualities seemingly at least in his interactions so i don't know man like you know, the, during the pandemic, it was tough to kind of get to know any of these players because you're not around them. You only get to see them in Zoom, and that's tough. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what this season's going to be, but I am really looking forward to someone sitting down with, uh, with Blaze and just kind of picking his mind for a little bit because I think he's going to be a pretty interesting guy to, uh, to talk to. Yeah, I, I do too. I actually reached out to him, and we were able to connect. And if if you're listening to this before Friday, we are planning on my radio show that I do here in St. Louis. Uh, we're going to have Blaze Aldridge on the show on Friday around noon central time. So if it is before noon central on Friday, check out 101 ESPN and uh, we'll have Blaze on the show to be able to talk about what brought him to Mizzou, kind of some of his background. He went through the JUCO rank. So if you don't know any, any of his story, he was... He's had kind of a meandering path. So he grew up in Florida and ended up at JUCO in California. Went to JUCO there for a couple of years, ended up going to Rice, and now is at Mizzou. But there was there was a lot in between. There's some really good pieces that have been written about him. Um, I highly recommend reading some of them because he's he's had a really interesting path, and I'm interested to talk to him about kind of what led him to Mizzou and how he ended up getting here. Cause he seems like a really interesting kid. Absolutely. So yeah, nice couple of additions here for Drinkwitz and his team. Uh, we'll see how that fills out as we go through. He is, so let's see here. Blaze is a graduate transfer. So even though he was a senior this year and would not have counted for rice next year, because he is a transfer, his scholarship does count against Missouri for 2021. So I think that's how that's supposed to work. So don't write off a scholarship. That is one that's spoken for. Uh, we still got a couple more to play with. I think we're at 79 right now. Uh, I think that that's where the Tigers sit currently out of 85. So it's going to be wild to play with a full roster next I year. I mean, what's that going to be like? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be nice is what it's going to be, uh, especially if we have a full season. That'd also be nice. So uh, speaking of uh, transfer portal, 
God, I am just killing it today. Tennessee volunteers. The world is a better place when Tennessee has to go through a coaching change. And that's what they're doing right now. They fired Jeremy Pruitt. I know this is Missouri adjacent, but God, just the palace intrigue. I can't help it. Um, Pruitt is gone. And if you'll remember three years ago, Tennessee had maybe the most dysfunctional, uh, disjointed, uh, maximum heads rolling on the ground kind of coaching search where they lost uh, an athletic director. They had Mike Leach and then lost him uh, or denied him. And they ended up with their 48th pick in Jeremy Pruitt because uh, Philip Fulmer, their former head coach, kind of instituted an internal coup amongst the sports, uh, the athletic department, installed himself as the athletic director, and then hired his guy in Jeremy Pruitt and said, this is it, we're rolling with it. And now they're both no longer at the jobs that they have. So, um, BK, how much of this story of, of Pruitt getting fired do you know currently? So I referenced the McDonald's yeah. uh, story earlier. Yeah. Did you see that report Just from Dan Patrick? Sloppy and beautiful. I love it. So apparently, uh, according to Dan Patrick, uh, former Sports Center anchor, now does his uh, radio show called the Dan Patrick Show, aptly named. He he says that apparently coaches, administrators, people around the industry have known for a while now that Tennessee has just been sloppy with the way that they are cheating and recruiting. So much so that Tennessee is just like openly giving recruits cash, bags of cash in a McDonald's bag. So they're just like going up to recruits, handing them a bag of McDonald's that just has cash inside of it. And he said he doesn't know if this is happening like at a McDonald's or where it is taking place. I We don't have a ton of details on it, but basically that's that's to just kind of enlighten you on how bad things have gotten at Tennessee that we talk about bag men. It's not supposed to be that overt. It's yeah, I don't. It's not like, supposed to be that. It's not supposed to be actual bagmen that are handing cash or bags of cash to recruits. I don't think that's how this is supposed like, to go. I, I know bagmen are are pretty ballsy as it is, and a lot of them will do you know like exchanges in parking lots or like you know buy a car for their uncle with cash only. You know, like they're not secret about it, but they're not this bub up up bad about just handing you. A bag of cash like that. That is about the laziest, most I don't give an F at what's going to happen move that you can possibly take. And if you are that confident in your ability to cheat and not get caught, God bless you. I wish I was confident about anything as much as, as they were confident in their ability to not get caught. Um, but yeah, guess what? They got caught because <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> obvious when you do something like that. Uh, they are not loving it. They are looking for a new head coach at this point, or maybe they are loving it. I don't know. Maybe it was just Pruitt didn't give a crap and now he's gone. But the thing is, is that Jeremy Pruitt was obviously cheating. Everybody knew he was cheating, but guess what? All of the SEC cheats, okay? Mm -hmm. And most schools, I say most, you come at them. If the NCAA comes at you with impermissible benefits, you know what most SEC schools do? They go, prove it. Prove it. What did Tennessee do? They hired an investigation team. <laughs> to find out just how bad it was. BK, if that doesn't smack of we want this guy gone, I don't know what does. I mean, honestly, though, good for them. 
Good for them. I, the fact that they found a way to fire Jeremy Pruitt with cause is really delightful. <laughs> and it, in, in the most SEC possible way, like, is it slimy? Absolutely. Is it disgusting? Yes. Did they deserve every bit of what came their way under Jeremy Pruitt? 100%. Am I also enjoying the hell out of all of this at Jeremy Pruitt's expense? Oh, you better believe it. Because that dude was a grade A you-know-what. And so I am I am not shedding one crocodile tear at his, uh, for him at all. Yeah. The empathy that I have for him is exactly zero. So seeing all of these dudes in the transfer portal and watching him go out in a way that was the most unceremonious way possible, oh, yeah, this has been delightful. <laughs> the last coach that I can think of, because all, all coaches get hit with the impermissible benefit accusation every once in a while. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure – at least everyone in the SEC has. I know that there's a bunch in the Big Ten, too. But, like, the last coach who was actually fired for impermissible benefits is Chip Kelly at Oregon. And the only reason that – well, he wasn't fired, but he went to the NFL to escape the firing squad, basically. The only reason – Well, he, Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze. No, he got fired for the prostitution stuff. But, which is kind of impermissible. Ole Miss didn't give a rip about the cheating. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, wait, you're – you are calling uh, prostitutes on company phone? Oh, sir, we can't have that. <laughs> they were going to the mat for the cheating, but not for the you know the actual like mar- marital cheating. Him butt dialing the stripper was one step too God, far. Just oh my god, or the escort service. Yeah, excuse so, me, let's I get it right. But I mean, you know, the only reason they caught Chip Kelly is because he wrote a personal check. Like Charles Chip Kelly, his name was on the check with the. <laughs> Rounding them count number and everything. And Will Lyles just goes, see? And they go, uh-oh. <laughs> now we have to fire him. So, like, this doesn't happen is, is the point. I think, you know, Kansas did this a couple of years ago with David Beatty where they hired, I think, the exact same investigation firm to find a reason to, to fire him for cause. And now they're doing it again for Jeremy Pruitt. So this will go into litigation hell. As always, the ultimate winner here, billable hours, right? Although, love your attorney. Hug your attorney. Um so it's it's hilarious. And yeah, Jerry Pruitt's kind of a jerk. He's a walking thumb. But man, he he's just not a good head coach. He is a defensive coordinator who had a football team. And he made for all, all the recruiting stuff that they did, he just made sure his offense ran the ball first, second, and third down, uh, and have his defense come out. So no, I don't think he's going to get another head coaching gig. I do think he'll get another DC gig because that's what he's good at. And, you know, kind of like with Kiffin and his show cause, as long as as long as Pruitt doesn't have a show cause, I'd even be willing for him to come to Mizzou because he's just that good. Yeah, he's a, a really good defensive coordinator, and that's been proven at this point. Um, he, by the way, he was the guy that Charles Kelly followed at Florida State. Oh, yeah, State, that's right. Why it was so, no, nobody likes Charles Kelly because Pruitt had an unbelievable defense in 2013 when they won the national championship, yeah. and then Kelly comes in. He's not going to be able to live up to those expectations. He doesn't, and he ends up, basically having to be let go as a result of that um so that that was kind of his his path i will say this though i i I agree with you pruitt's really good he's also been at florida state georgia tennessee and alabama oh for sure so he he is working with a different talent level than what he would have he's not a good underdog yeah i get that 
Yeah, so we've we've never seen him in this particular situation where he doesn't have the talent. I think he'd be fine. I think he'd be really good. Um, but that's just something to take and keep in mind. By the way, did you know? I'm I'm literally looking at his uh, Wikipedia right now. Did you know that he was on Two a Days? Wait, do you remember what? that TV show? Yeah. So really? apparently. He was a defensive backs coach and defensive coordinator at Hoover High from 2004 huh. to 2006. Is that when they did Two-A-Days? Apparently, he appeared on the TV series Two-A-Days in 2006 while an assistant head co- or an assistant coach at Hoover High School. Huh. I had no idea. I had no clue. Man. I mean, how are you... You know, that's 14 years ago. You're not even paying attention to the guys there at that point. But, man, that's... I had no idea. That What a wild uh, yeah. six degrees separation. That's funny. <laughs> no kidding. Sorry. Anyway, so, yeah, he'd be a good hire. I, I will be stunned if they go that route. Though. They won't. I don't think that he's going to come to Mizzou. I know, you know, Missouri just got done with their whole, you know, impermissible benefits thing. And, like, what's it look like if you bring a guy who's going through the same thing? I mean, the, the, the official answer is bad. We're not going to do it. But... It's the SEC. You do whatever it takes to win. Okay, like that. If Mizzou could find a way to do it, they would. I don't think they will, so they won't. But the yeah. fallout of Pruitt getting fired um, is all of his little pieces that he recruited to play at Knoxville are now <laughs> scattering to the wind. Uh, I am counting. What is this? Twenty. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty, forty, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. 25 players are in the transfer portal going away from Tennessee. All two of them are coming to Tennessee. Um, really, it's like 40% of their starting too deep, and it's the good guys, like the ones who are actually starting that are leaving. So um, that's not a good look. Henry To'o To'o uh, just entered like a couple hours ago. Uh, Quiveras Crouch is in there. Uh, BK and I were talking about before we jumped on here. There is a, a name that we would both like, uh, running back Eric Gray. Uh, he and Ty Chandler are both leaving. Chandler signed with North Carolina, but Gray, to me, was the better running back, and is currently in the Agreed. transfer portal. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you would take him. Yeah, if he's interested in coming to Mizzou, I would love to see him with, um, with Young and uh, with Beatty. <laughs> Whew! Yeah, sign me up for that. Mm-hmm. I'd be down for that tomorrow. Absolutely. He's he's a smaller guy, but he kind of fits. You remember Darrington Evans? Oh heck I think yeah! That was the uh, the running back at App State, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yeah. Uh, he, he he kind of fits that type of a profile. A little bit smaller than him, but that that style. Yeah. I mean, it's just oh, everybody is gone. This is incredible. I don't. The good guys are going to get snatched up by blue bloods. That's just how it works. But you know, Tennessee's kind of falling apart at the seams here, and I, it, you hate to see it, lol. But. Uh, I don't know whoever's walking into this, and it's probably going to be Kevin Steele, who just magically was hired at Tennessee after his failed attempt to take the Auburn job and just, just happened to be at Tennessee when, oh, my gosh, Jeremy Pruitt got fired. I had no idea. Oh, now I'm the interim head coach. Uh, how did this happen? Like, this guy is just made out of Teflon and just keeps – he's Mr. Take Your Job. Uh, but I'm assuming they're going to roll with Steele while they work through all of the uh, sanctions that are going to be coming crushing down on the volunteers. And then they'll find uh, a real coach once they are outside of the sanctions and the the money pit that they're currently in. So um, that would be my guess, uh, and I hope that means that Tennessee sucks because the SEC is just better when Tennessee is sad. I'm sorry, it just is. Also, it 
it's one less team that Mizzou has to worry about that has the potential to be good. Like, Tennessee shouldn't be this bad. Let's be they honest. Shouldn't. I'm not – they shouldn't be at the level that their fan base expects them to be at. Like, there's – they might not be a legitimate top 5 to 10 program like their fan base thinks that they should. <laughs> but they should be better than they are. They, they should be should. a perennial top 25 program at yeah. a minimum. And it should be basically like Florida, Georgia, Tennessee as the top three in the SEC every year. Yeah. Based on where they are geographically, the talent that is there, the historical success that they've had, the fan bases that they have. I mean, if you go to Neyland Stadium, and if you haven't, by the way, you should. It's an it's awesome, super cool. awesome experience. Yeah. Um, like that, it recruits itself, basically. It's, it's really amazing. It's a minor miracle that they haven't had more success in recent years. Um, but they'll get back to that. But the fact that they're not there right now, while Mizzou has Eli Drinkwitz, I'm, I'm cool with that because that means one less quote unquote blue blood that Mizzou has to worry about. I mean, since they fired Phil Fulmer, only one coach has lasted longer than three years. There's Butch Jones. (laughs) They had Lane Kiffin. They had Derek Dooley. Now they got Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, some bad hires. Just. That's on really bad hires. God awful hires. I was listening to honestly, Lane Kiffin was the best hire. Easily, that staff was dynamite, and it only lasted one year. They were recruiting the hell out of the SEC, so I'm kind of I'm glad he's gone. But I did. I was listening to uh, was it the Cover Three podcast? I forget which one. Might have mm, might have been Split Zone Do, but I don't remember. Point is, is that they said that Tennessee might have been better off, and I know banners last forever but tennessee as a program as a fan base would have been better off without accidentally winning the 1998 national championship because they have been chasing that dragon ever since and they've been making all of their decisions based off of the fact that they won one natty 22 years ago and because of that they just they they're afraid to make big changes they hire guys who are just going to well we're going to keep doing what we're doing we're just going to amplify what we already have and the, the argument was that someone needs to rip Tennessee to the studs and rebuild it completely. And no one so far has acknowledged that that's where that program is, and so they don't make the correct hire, and that's why they are where they are. And I'm like, that that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And it, it's kind of like um, – so I'm a, I am I work in St. Louis, and the what you just mentioned reminded me of the Cardinals, right? Oh, yeah, totally. There's so many conversations right now about the Cardinals, and – what do you do? Because they're kind of in this in-between period where they're a solid team, but you kind of have to go in one of two directions. You either go get the big guy that can change the middle of your order, or you decide to rebuild, and the Cardinals are kind of just sticking in this middle pattern, and it feels like that's where Tennessee is right now, where they're in this constant state of going 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five because they never want to actually go through the process that they should. It's a damn shame. But, yeah, I hope Missouri capitalizes. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, lastly, and this this just blows my mind, and I need my NFL guy to explain this to me. That's you. Um, Urban Meyer is now the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. Like, that. That's a, that's a real thing that's actually happening right now. Uh-huh. BK, I don't get it. And if you do get it, I want to give you a couple minutes to explain it, and then I want to tell you why it doesn't make a damn lick of sense to me. Okay. Um, let me start with you, actually. Okay. What, why Why are you as down on it as you are? So, Urban Meyer's been a head coach for a long, long time at the college ranks, and only the college ranks. What was Urban Meyer good at? Well, 
Urban Meyer was really good at recruiting. He always was recruiting at a higher level than his peers. Maybe not so much at Bowling Green, but certainly at Utah when it was still in the Mountain West, absolutely in Florida in the SEC, and absolutely at Ohio State. He was He's just a lights-out, rabid recruiter, basically right below Nick Saban. That was his biggest strength. His other strength was to rally the troops, if you will, give them a gigantic chip on their shoulder, motivate them to do well, while having a pretty good eye for offensive talent and hiring guys who are a step ahead as far as offensive curves go, um, and basically delegating um, offense, defense to, to other guys and leaving them alone. And I understand that... You know, that's a lot of what the NFL can be. There's a lot of delegation and you're just kind of being the CEO at sometimes. But he has no play calling experience. He has no roster management at the higher level experience. He's not going to be able to out recruit any of his peers. And he takes losses with heart attacks. Remember the last time we saw him losing a game? <laughs> Crumpled on the ground, just holding his head, rolling around. He is, I mean, he, he comes in with so much bravado. And he's got a pretty good eye for coaching talent, but he has no concept of what it's like to play a game when, you know, this, the rosters are even. And he's not going to have, I don't think he's going to have any shot at roster management. He certainly shouldn't, especially given the Bill O'Brien debacle that we've seen before. Um, he just, he doesn't seem like the type of coach with all of his, you know, I'm going to make you sing the school song and I'm going to get you all pissed off for greatness and we're going to get yeah! Like, I just don't see that working at the NFL level and maybe I'm wrong, but that's, that's where I stand. So I guess one question that I would have is this, why don't we give urban Meyer any credit for his offensive success? Because he never made the offense himself. I don't know how much I believe that. (laughs) Why? Um, at two, are we not giving him any credit for what he did at Utah? No, that wasn't him. What do you mean? He didn't create that offense. He didn't create any of those offenses. He would find guys. He found Dan Mullen and said, hey, make my offense work. That's all he did. I don't know how much I believe that. Okay. Um, I, and if he did, he found the right guy. Um, so whether whether you want to give him credit for putting together those offenses and going to the spread earlier than a lot of people around the country were willing to, or if you don't want to give him credit, which is fine, and you want to say, you know what, he hired the right guy that put together the perfect scheme to be able to maximize the talent that he, that he had, and I know there were some cases where he didn't maximize the talent, that's totally fair, we can get to that here in a second, but especially early on at Utah, Florida, and then especially early at Ohio State. He, he kind of did that. Um, I think he deserves a little credit for those. And so I view Urban Meyer as just being a really good football coach. And I, I'm, I'm, I want to be clear here. Disclaimer, I'm not talking about the culture that was implemented at Florida. And I know this Ooh, is part of it, and it's yeah. really hard to separate the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I'm, I'm not trying to say he's a great culture builder, but he's a really good football coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at Ohio State, I understand there was an assistant. There was some awful things happening in his program that are shameful, and I'm not talking about that either. And again, 
it's hard to disconnect the two, and that's part of the Urban Meyer story. But if I can for a moment just to speak about the football side of things, he was a really good football coach there too. He's won everywhere he has been. And so I think in some ways, you're different. You you didn't go this path, and so that, that makes me happy, frankly. Um, a lot of the things that I have seen that are against Urban Meyer working in the NFL have something to do with Nick Saban failing in the NFL. And I just think that is a lazy narrative. Yeah. Um, Nick Saban didn't fail in the NFL. I'm here to tell you the God's honest truth that Nick Saban actually succeeded in the NFL. In 2005, in his first year as the head coach for the Miami Dolphins, Nick Saban went 9-7. and seven. Do you know who the quarterback was for that Nick Saban-led 9-7 and seven Miami Dolphins team, Nate? So that was 2005? Yeah. Was it Pat White? <laughs> it was Gus Farratt. Oh, yucks. <laughs> he stinks. And they finished that year 9-7. and seven. Oh, that sucks. And then in 2006, they went 6-10, and 10, but had the fifth-best defense in all of football. They stunk because their offense was terrible, 29th in the league, because they had a quarterback combination of Joey Harrington, who was awful in a massive bust in the league, Dante Culpepper, who had been way past his prime at that point, and Cleo Lemon, who started a game for him that none of our audience remembers. Cleo Lemon, oh my god. It wasn't that Nick Saban failed. It was that he didn't have a quarterback in the league. And a lot of that circles back to one of the greatest what-ifs in football history, at least certainly in the last 20 years of football history, which is what would have happened if the Miami Dolphins' doctors cleared Drew Brees for his injury, which they did not. He signs with the Dolphins. Nick Saban ends up being successful, which I believe he would have been. With the Miami Dolphins, I think he would have won a ring with the Miami Dolphins. I think you would be talking differently now about the Patriots if he were still with the Miami Dolphins. Mm -hmm. It's the single greatest sliding door moment in football in the last 20 years of (laughs) any level. So Nick Saban didn't fail. And so that brings us back to Urban Meyer. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to fail because he doesn't understand football. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to fail because he's not going to know what he's doing when he gets into that locker room. I think Urban Meyer can succeed. Now, does his style work with grown-ass men who are 32 years old and make $5 million a year? I don't know. Uh, Will Urban Meyer promote an environment that is a safe and healthy work environment? I don't know. Will he hire the right guys because you can't just hire the best dude at every position to be on your coaching staff in the NFL the way you can in college football by offering them more money? You can be blocked from interviewing uh, coaches if they're not getting a promotion. That makes things more difficult. So I do have some questions about the hire, but I actually think there's a chance that he can be successful there, especially because he's going to have Trevor Lawrence as his quarterback. So I'm really interested in it, man, and I, I think it can work. I mean, he he had Alex Smith at Utah. He told Mike Sanford, he's like, I don't like running, you know, I don't have, to, I don't like it when we have to play against spread teams. Run the spread, and they did. He found Dan Mullen when he went to Florida. Dan Mullen's obviously an offensive savant. He did what he did at Florida for five years. He goes to Ohio State. He packs picks Tom Herman out of Iowa State. He says, I like what you're doing. Run it. He did. He doesn't have his fingers in the offensive or defensive side. He lets his coaches do what he needs to do. And like I said, if that's common in the NFL. 
Like if you just if the head coach at the NFL is just the CEO who just delegates and lets it happen and makes decisions during game day, like that's fine. But I think he's going to have a shock as to what it's going to be like playing in the NFL where motivation is the money, right? That's you don't need to have your kids sing the fights on and like, you know, hold hands and, and play, you know, you know, do all these stupid motivational things that you do with younger guys. If he understands that, if he makes the right coaching hires, if he knows what's going to work in the NFL and can then let his guys do it, then fine, that's okay. But I seriously question his mental capabilities at this point. He had to sign a contract with his family before he went to Ohio State saying that he wasn't going to get super mad or super emotional, so he didn't have a heart attack, and then he went ahead and had a heart attack anyway. Um, like, I just – I, I – I pause for his mental health, his for his physical health. I don't know how he's going to handle it, but yeah, he's not football stupid. If he can see what's going to work and he can make it happen, then sure it could work. I just I question it. That's all, especially since it's been on been out of the the game for a couple of years. Totally fair. Uh, th- there are real questions, and I'm I, I'm not trying to suggest that I think this is fool like fail proof. Uh, it's not. It is a really risky hire, and it might fail for them. I just think that the upside for a hire like this compared to some of the other hires that I've seen in the NFL this offseason, I, I, I'm I'm in on taking the chance. I really am. I, I think that there's a, a real shot here that Urban Meyer ends up being good in the NFL. Meanwhile, the Detroit Lions just hired a guy named Dan Campbell, who is essentially just a football personification. <laughs> like, if you could... <laughs> If you could build a human being that looks like football, uh, it would be Dan Campbell. Oh my god, that guy! And lifts they, gave, they gave him a six-year deal. So Google, Google kids, uh, Google Dan Campbell right now. He doesn't have a neck. <laughs> my god. He's a former blocking tight end in the league, and he's got a big old goatee. The barrel chest, it's its everything you could expect and then some. Uh, he is the next head coach of the Detroit Lions, who the search was run by Chris Spielman, who also doesn't have a uh, neck. <laughs> Meanwhile, Eric Bieniemy is still an offensive coordinator. Cool. I know that's good yeah. for you guys, but like, you know. No, it, it's, it's a disgrace that he's still offensive coordinator but that's that's a different conversation entirely and we don't have time for that no we don't it's time for naps um yeah and you guys obviously the chiefs have a big game this weekend so you're going to get all geared up for that uh any parting shots for the listeners before we get out of here i'm really fascinated to see who eli Drinkwitz hires as his next defensive coordinator Mm -hmm. uh it's it's a huge hire we talked about that last week and i hope he gets it right not only the defensive coordinator hire, but if it is a D-backs coach, if they go the Steve Wilkes route, they need to get it right on the defensive line as well with whoever they hire as the defensive line coach. And I know it's not sexy. Like, the head coach is the sexiest hire, and then you get to your coordinators, and then people don't really care too much about the position coach, uh, typically. This one's important, and Mizzou needs to get it right with the defensive line because they are starting to bring in some real talent. And I do wonder if this is part of what went into Drinkwitz's decision. The pipeline's there now on the defensive line. They they brought in enough high-level recruits last year that if they've got the right guy in that position, they could be really successful over the next couple of years, and D-line zoo could be a thing again. 
But if you got the wrong guy and the, these guys don't develop the way that they mm-hmm. should, well, now you're back to square one and you just wasted this recruiting class. So they need to get it right on both of those hires, and I'm fascinated to see what direction they decide to go. Development's key. Texas signs as many four- and five-star guys as they want, but they haven't been anywhere because they don't develop that talent. So it is going to be key. So we will keep a, an eye out, and like we said, you know, we're going to hit uh, stop here. We're going to publish it. Mitch is going to do his thing. It's going to hit your feed, and then literally three minutes later, Drink will have his defensive coordinator. So you're welcome. Um, but we'll we'll keep our ears and eyes peeled, and we'll report what we find out. But uh, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. You can listen to him on the radio if you're in St. Louis from 11 to 2, 101 ESPN. And, of course, you can follow the Rock and Flagship at. Can I give you a little bit of news here? Ooh. <gasps> what? Starting next week, you'll be able to hear me an extra hour. <gasps> we'll get into Sweet that next victory. week whenever we have That's show. Right. How about that for a tease? Look at that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Can't wait. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. Until then, NIZ. The OU. <laughs>